Amen. Thank you so much. I could sing that all afternoon. It's our prayer today. It's our prayer in this place. It's a parking lot. It's a prayer in your homes that the kingdom would come today. Um, before we get started, I wanted to just acknowledge a couple of uh, gospel partners that are with us today. So um, I believe Stephen and uh, Young Lee are over here. Could you stand up if you wouldn't mind, Stephen and Young Lee Chandra? Uh, Stephen serves with the group of churches that we're a part of called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And Stephen is the director of Asia. So all the missionaries that are working in Asia, Stephen uh, helps to bring um, just unity and focus and leadership to them. So thanks for being with us today. They're staying with the ProChecks, actually. They're friends with them over there in the back. So, And then uh, Kevin and Becky Compline are over here. And so if you wouldn't mind standing, um, Kevin serves uh, as the president of the EFCA. And so uh, he's. this is sort of the intersection point for Stephen and Kevin to, to meet. They're all going to have uh, lunch today. And it's just a real blessing to have you with us, Kevin. And, and I'm sure they'll be around for a little bit afterwards and uh, give you a chance to maybe say hello and get to know them. So please take that opportunity today while we have them with us. So I work with church planting, and, and I get to work with Kevin quite a bit uh, for our group of churches and just really uh, am blessed by that as well. So here we are in the sun. Today is probably the hottest day we've had, right? Um, you surviving? Everybody okay? Some of you are fine over here. You re you're realizing now, those of you who are here realizing now, this is the place to sit, right? Because of the, the shade. Uh, people said to me, boy, you've been going to the beach a lot? I said, no, actually, I've been preaching. That's why I look tanned. All right, God, would you uh, meet us today uh, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in our, your sight, Lord. You are our rock and you are our redeemer and we are grateful. So would you be with us today as we finish off the book of Philippians in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's uh, a little sad for me to come to the end of the book of Philippians. We started this at the very beginning of the year, and I have been so blessed to be sitting in this letter to the Philippians in the New Testament each week to be uh, encouraged. And I've had that experience so many times where the particular passage that we're studying is exactly what I needed on that particular week. And I know that some of you have had that experience because you've shared it with me, that the passage that you, we were studying was just right for what you were going through. And this really is God's plan for our lives, that uh, wise living is the combination, uh, the commingling of the word of God with the circumstances of our particular journey. And we find over and over again that as we are studying God's word in the midst of our circumstances, truths that we may have glossed over or just passed over suddenly become more real to us because they're speaking and helping us navigate our particular circumstances. And, you know, God, because he loves us so much, he's put this Bible into our hands. So there you are with your hands out. And God has put this Bible into your hands to help you to build a relationship with him and to navigate any and every circumstance that you might face in the whole course of your life. There's nothing that you will face that God will not be able to help you navigate. 
And this Bible that he's given us is it's like this ever-present sign of God's desire to partner with us in life. It's an ever-present sign. And, and we live in a place where there are many Bibles. You can go um, you know, to the bookstore. Um, even now, I know it's less and less, you can go to people's houses and you will see a Bible on the shelf. You can go um, in your own home, maybe you've got some uh, tucked away here and there. And, and I want you to think of, of every one of those Bibles as a sign that the God of the universe wants to partner with you in life. Doesn't want you to navigate it alone. Wants to walk with you in a, in a daily kind of a way. It's a very beautiful gift that God has given to us. And I'm so grateful that we have this Bible. Um, those of you who maybe are with us and kind of seeking, I, I've talked with a couple of people even in the last week who have questions about who Jesus is and are maybe wanting to move closer to Jesus in relationship, wanting to move closer to God in relationship. And my encouragement to you is this. One of the best things that you can do to build faith, to grow spiritually, is just open up the Bible and start reading. Just read. I mean, there are so many different viewpoints and pundits and scholars and people uh, and, you know, cultural uh, opportunities to hear about the scripture. But why not just read it for yourself? Uh, I always recommend that people open up to the gospel of Mark or even to the book of Philippians, which we're finishing today, and just sit with it, your heart, to be present with God in that. Um, so that's my encouragement uh, for those of you who are sort of in that journey of seeking and, and questioning. Try to carve out some time this week to, to spend with your Bible opened up and just, just see what happens. Maybe say a little prayer before you actually open it up um, and then uh, see what God does. Now, we are going to finish the book of Philippians. I am going to read the last three verses, which are the only ones that remain. And so those of you who like to check things off lists, we will get to them. But it'll be towards the end of our time together. Um, because I did something fun this week. I, I created a PDF of the whole letter. It's, it's not very long. You can read it in a pretty short amount of time. And I, and I went through and, and, and with a highlighter colored all the different passages within the letter to the Philippians, highlighting the different themes that we've been discovering as we've gone on this journey through the book of Philippians. And there are six that I wanted to call out for you. Um, the first one is partnership. We've been talking about that a little bit already, partnership. Uh, the second one is gospel, and these are all sort of interrelated. The third one is joy. We entitled this series Joy Spring. Uh, 16 times the word joy occurs in the book of Philippians. And then the fourth one I'm, I'm calling out is suffering. Suffering is really the, the occasion for the letter of the Philippians. Uh, and then discipleship, which we're going to end with a little bit today. It's, it's about growth and, and transformation. And then the last one is excellence. And, and, and I, I sometimes 
debate if it should be excellence or the heavenly vision. They sort of merge together. This idea that there is a vision for how things are supposed to be and we are somehow moving towards what uh, should be, what God intended. Um, that, that vision of excellence, we set our minds on the things of excellence. So those are the, the six themes. And then I went back through the book of Philippians and tried to find a verse that brought all of those themes together. And I'm not sure I was entirely successful, but where I landed was Philippians 4, verse 1. And so if you've got your Bible with you or you're using a screen, open up to Philippians 4, verse 1. And many of these verses, partnership, gospel, joy, suffering, discipleship, excellence, uh, they all come together in this verse. Philippians 4, 1, Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, and let me just let me just go back. Therefore, listen to the the partnership language in this verse. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Thus, that's the suffering piece. He's, he's calling them to stand firm in the midst of their suffering. Stand firm. Thus, but not alone. He's with them in the Lord, and then he finishes. My beloved. That's in the ESV. Let me read it. Since it's just one verse, let me read it in a different version. This is the CSB. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, and referring probably back to the verses that came, but really the whole book, the message of the whole book, the letter of Philippians to the Philippians, in this manner, what he's been talking about throughout the course of the letter, stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, let's unpack that together. So remember the background. Uh, the poor Philippians are suffering. There's, there's, there's three dimensions to their suffering. They're suffering from um, the secular opponents, probably uh, the cult of emperor worship that was present very strong in the city of Philippi. And here comes these Christians, and they're worshiping a different king. And those who are worshiping the emperor didn't like that, and so they would have been suffering some persecution as a result. They had theological opponents. There apparently were people coming into their community and teaching things that veered away from the beautiful and pure gospel that they had attached their lives to. And so Paul is addressing that with them as well. And then it's as if all of this pressure and the struggle that they're under has resulted in some kind of internal strife. And so we don't know exactly what's going on, but within the, the Christian community there in Philippi, there is some sort of strife and, and Paul is speaking to that as well. And so they're suffering. The people, the Christians in Philippi are suffering. And this becomes the entry point into their lives. Addressing their suffering is the way that Paul begins to speak some of these beautiful themes that we talked about into their lives. And isn't this the case so often with us? That it's through suffering. Suffering becomes the entry point for spiritual growth, for for thinking about God. Because we find ourselves suddenly in a moment when we need more than what we have. We can't meet the challenges that are before us. And while it's hard, it's also beautiful in that that's oftentimes when our soul gets cracked open and God can begin to do some work in us. And maybe some of you this morning are experiencing a measure of that in your lives. And you want to run away from it. You want to resist it. You don't want it to be like this. And that's understandable and very human. But I want to encourage you to think that just maybe God is going to do something unique in your life through this entry point of suffering 
that's present right now. So we're going to use the same entry point um, to reflect on the entire letter to the Philippians. We're going to do kind of a, uh, a, this is the last sermon. It's kind of a summary of the book of Philippians and the message of the book of Philippians. And we're going to enter in through suffering, just as Paul does. And we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the cause of suffering, the response to suffering, and the result of suffering. The cause of suffering, the response to suffering, and the result of suffering. So let's tackle the first one, the cause of suffering. Everyone in the world suffers, right? We know that. And the Bible teaches us that the, the, the reason that everybody in the world suffers is because of sin. Sin has entered the world right from the time of Adam and Eve. And it's not hard to see how this dynamic plays itself out. We keep doing stuff that God never intended us f- for us to do. And vice versa, we don't do the things that God did intend for us to do. And the result of that is that there is sin and that suffering increases in the world. And And so everybody suffers. But there's another dimension to suffering that has to do with the gospel. And Paul is really calling that dimension out in this letter to the Philippians. Christians suffer like everyone else does. But they also suffer for the gospel. They also suffer for the gospel. The the good news of Jesus Christ that he came Remember, we, we, we studied the passage in Philippians 2. He, he left all the glory in heaven to take humanly form and then to humble himself to the cross, to the point of the cross, and then to be raised up and made the object of worship. Christians suffer because of this incredible message about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.29. And we're going to do quite a few verses. I'm going to go quickly and quote them quickly. But because this is kind of a summary, we're going to pull together some of the threads throughout the book of Philippians. So Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, right? That's the initial starting point, but also to suffer for him. And this sort of makes sense, right? Because if the gospel is about changing a broken world, then it stands to reason that that's not going to be just an automatic, easy process, that there's going to be some suffering that is a part of that process of transformation. I love what Charles Spurgeon, a famous uh, old preacher, says. He says, we can only produce life in others by the wear and tear of our own being. We can only produce life in others by the wear and tear of our own being. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What an incredible metaphor that Jesus gives us, that there is this dynamic, this element of life in which death produces life. And we as Christians our suffering is that, is, is that in the vector, the line of that death, and, and the result of it is to produce life. And of course, Jesus is the model, and we are following after the pattern of Jesus. So I know some of you, when you hear talk like that, you say, well, then, then probably the book of Philippians is not really for me, because I'm not one of those grand Christians who goes out boldly and makes myself suffer for the gospel. I I think most of us as Christians feel uh, some measure of maybe even shame that's maybe too strong, but maybe not too strong in some cases, for how we haven't lived with the kind of boldness and outward 
confidence in the gospel and willingness to suffer that we so often see in the New Testament. And so we read a book like the, the book, the letter to the Philippians, and we say, well, that's not for me. I'm not that kind of grand Christian. I just sort of, you know, mind my own business and try to stay under the radar. Well, here's what we forget. If you have a relationship with Jesus, this is an identity thing. Your very existence is an affront to the present world order. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your very existence in relationship to Jesus Christ is an affront to the present world order. That's an identity truth that we all need to take on board and accept as reality. That's just the way it is. And sometimes we might think that we're not doing anything in service of Jesus Christ. And yet, the Holy Spirit who lives in us is working through us without us even realizing. Now, of course, the question should be asked, should we become more bold for the gospel? And, and the answer is yes. I mean, if that's who we are, and, and I confess that I often feel like that. I feel like I'm, I'm not one of those grand Christians who's doing bold things for Jesus Christ. Um, I, sh- I want to strive for, for greater boldness. Um, those of you who know my wife, I have somebody uh, around me constantly who is incredibly bold for Jesus. She's the mayor of our local Trader Joe's because she knows everybody there. She loves them constantly. Um, and just about everywhere we go. Uh, and she's an inspiration to me on that front. And I want to strive to be more bold. But part of what Paul is doing in the letter to the Philippians is he's reminding them of who they are already, that they already have the Holy Spirit in them, and that God is at work making them bold, uh, and that they ought to keep striving for it, but it's not in their own strength. God is doing this work, and he's, he's calling me, saying, look, you're being pressed in upon from every side. Don't stop being bold for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what that phrase, stand firm, means. He's calling them to continue to be bold for Christ. Even though we know that, that, that we're not as bold as we'd like to be, we're more bold, more bold probably than we thought we were. And, and, so, and so God is working out this, this process. And I find that that takes down the, the angst a little bit. This is God's work in me to make me bold for Christ. See, there ends up being this paradox in life. We think that by protecting ourselves from the gospel suffering, from gospel suffering, we will hang on to more joy. But Jesus and Paul say that actually the reverse is true. And this has been part of the really main core message of the book of Philippians. True joy is not the absence of suffering. It's the presence of something else. True joy is not the absence of suffering. It's the presence of something else. And the answer to what that thing is leads us to our next point. The response to suffering. This is probably the biggest thing we've been studying, as I say, throughout the book. That the prescribed response to suffering is to do two things. To lean into our partnership with Jesus Christ, our union with Jesus Christ, when we experience suffering. And to lean into our relationship with the brothers and sisters in Christ, with the community of faith. We're to lean into our union with Christ and lean into our partnership with each other. And, and this is the remarkable point that Paul makes throughout the book. That joy, joy, which is a word he uses 16 times in this short little letter, 
So we know it's one of the, the themes. We, we used a, a Clifford Brown song entitled Joy Spring to, for the title of this series. What is our joy spring? Well, here's what Paul says. Joy is not the absence of suffering. It's the presence of partnership. There's that key theme. If you are with Jesus and the community of sisters and brothers in Christ, you will know a greater and deeper joy than if you are isolated and avoiding suffering. True joy is not the absence of suffering. It's the presence of deep and abiding, life-giving partnership in the gospel. This is a huge point, I think, as the pandemic wanes and we begin to experience community again as the Lord intended. We're coming together. In fact, I've been captured by this idea. And so our next series is going to jump off a phrase in the book of Philippians called yearning with affection. We're going to talk about the power of relationship because I think as we come back together in this way, it's going to be really important for us to do a rethink and a restart on what is relationship and what are God's intentions for our relationships. And I've been captured by Paul's incredible affection for the Philippian church. And what would it be like if more and more as a church, we could live into that kind of quality of relationship that Paul had with the Philippians. So we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But let's stay where we are here. The response to suffering. Now, Gordon Fee, um, commentator on the book of Philippians, conceptualizes the relationship, the relationships in the book of Philippians using a triangle. So Christ is at the top, and then the Philippians are here, and Paul is over here. And as you read the book of Philippians, you've got this triangle of relationships. The Philippians have a relationship with Jesus. They have union with Christ. Paul has union with Christ. He talks about it over and over again. But then that beautiful, dramatic, wonderful, intense relationship with Christ is mirrored in the horizontal relationships. And so, so Paul does an incredible job of reflecting that in the way he talks to the Philippians. The Paul's words to the Philippians mirror the kind of relationship that we're all to have, the union that we're to have with Jesus Christ. And so you see this in a number of different ways. It, in fact, some of the most dramatic language in the letter to the Philippians is around this intense view of partnership in the gospel and how important it is for us, how it's really the joy spring of life. Right there in the beginning of the book, um, we had this study of this really powerful verse. When I read it, you're going to know what it is, and it fits into this framework. It, it makes sense in this partnership framework. I'm going to start a little bit before in chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice. Remember, Paul's sitting in jail waiting to find out if he's going to be killed or he's going to live. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, sitting in prison, whatever, will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then here it is. This, this verse makes sense when you get the partnership theme, the union with Christ theme. For me to live, Paul says, is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, when Paul's pressed in upon, when he's suffering, when he's at the lowest of the low, he's sitting in jail, his response is to lean into his union with Jesus Christ. 
And that intense and beautiful union with Christ is reflected in the intense and the beautiful union between Paul and the Philippians. And this is why, partly why I picked this verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Just stop for a second and look at this verse and see the words of partnership and, and, and union and love and relationship that are present. It's, it's almost over the top. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, so that's already, his, his identification of them is that they are brothers and sisters. Therefore, brother, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, remember, it was out of that longing that he first um, was returning Epaphroditus to them and then also uh, really wanted to send Timothy. And then he said, and then I want to come. So it wasn't just sort of this, this uh, inactive longing. He was actually taking action to, to, to seek out the Philippian church. Whom I love and long for, my joy, there it is, partnership in the midst of suffering equals joy. My joy and crown, there's the excellent heavenly vision theme. Stand firm thus in the Lord. And then just for extra measure to make sure you know that I love you, he says, my beloved. So what that means for us is that if we want to know true joy, we should keep on being bold with the beautiful gospel. And when it gets tough, don't stop. The response isn't to stop when it gets difficult. The response is to dig deeper in your relationships with your sisters and brothers in Christ. The response is to dig deeper into your relationship with Jesus Christ, your union with Jesus Christ. You see that? See how important this is? If we don't understand that, then we're being bold about the gospel and it gets tough and we start suffering. We say, oh, that was a bad idea. I'm not going to do that anymore and protect myself and, and just not do anything. I'll just fly under the radar. And then what happens to the witness of Christ? Greatly diminished. Paul says, be bold. And then when the suffering comes, dig deeper into your relationships with your partners in the gospel. Dig deeper into your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't stop. Stand firm. And that's how you meet suffering. And actually, the beautiful, wonderful truth is that the joy you will experience from partnering at that level with your brothers and sisters and with Jesus Christ will be much greater than any joy that you could have found elsewhere. Don't exchange the paper crown of cultural compliance and safety, Paul says, for the real crown of bold gospel partnership. Don't exchange the paper crown of cultural, I think of those Burger King crowns, right? Don't exchange the paper crown of cultural compliance and safety for the real crown of bold gospel partnership. And then, as if that weren't reason enough, Paul, throughout the course of this letter, reveals to us bit by bit what God is actually doing in our suffering. What he's accomplishing and how beautiful and wonderful it is. The result of our suffering is growth. But by that, I mean something much more robust than just, oh, I knew something that I didn't know before. What I really mean by growth and what Paul really means by growth is transformation. Transformation. Radical growth into something new. It's within the context of suffering that Paul says some of these remarkable things to the Philippians. He says, I am sure of this, chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day 
of Jesus Christ. See, he wants them to grow in the course of their suffering. The suffering promotes growth. But it's not just growth to do things a little better. It's leaning towards complete transformation. So that, he says in in verses 10 and 11, you may approve what is excellent. There's that heavenly vision again. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the result of suffering is growth in us, but it's also growth in others, those who are around us. The result of our suffering Remember, this is one of the themes that our suffering, like being that seed that's, that's buried in the ground, you know, what Spurgeon says about wearying yourself, that, that our suffering results in the growth of others. Philippians 1, 12 through 13. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, Paul says, has, he, he's sitting in prison. This suffering that he's, in, he's enduring, sitting in prison. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It just strikes me that there's the Philippians suffering under the opponents who are worshiping the emperor and Paul's there in prison amidst the imperial guard, and winning them to Christ, to the worship of Christ. His suffering results in their growth, just like Jesus' suffering results in our salvation. Philippians 4, 21 through 23. Here we go. This is the end of the book right here. Maybe we should all read it together. ESV, chapter 4, verse 21. Greet every saint In Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. See, there's Paul, and his suffering is resulting in the gospel having a life among the imperial guard, in fact, among Caesar's household. Isn't that just the way that God works so often? When we're at our very lowest point, when we're, when we're dug deep and we seem like everything is hopeless, that's where he's accomplishing his most powerful work. And that's what's happening with Paul. And then these last words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that is the entire book. And we're almost done. Stick with me. I want to press this point of growth just one step further into the transformation idea. What is the ultimate conclusion of all of this growth that is taking place in the midst of our suffering? If you look at the context of chapter 4, verse 1, you'll see that this chapter 4, verse 1 comes right after what could be maybe a climax in the book of Philippians. It's a statement that gives us a picture of the the ultimate end of all of this growth that's taking place. Philippians 3, 20, 21. Those are the two verses right before. Paul says this, Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. I can hear Miguel. This is his favorite. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will... Listen to this. This is not just about incremental growth at this point. This is about something magnificent and glorious and completely radical. The Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What is growth actually? Growth is movement towards heaven. It's, it's becoming like what we will be eternally in heaven. And isn't it amazing, and I find it remarkable, that we can move along that vector even here right now in this fallen, broken world, even given who we are as human beings in our sinfulness. God in his grace has made it possible for us to move towards that heavenly life even now. Earthly growth is the beginnings of heavenly transformation. Earthly growth is the beginnings of heavenly transformation. This is why Paul keeps telling us to think about heaven, to keep our our minds on the excellent things of heaven, to daydream about heaven so that more and more we will grow in to the life that God has planned for us in heaven. We have a child who loves to sing. In fact, when she was little, she basically spent most of her life singing nonstop. In fact, when it was an inappropriate moment for her to be singing, we would say, hey, not the time for singing. She would say, okay, fine. And then two seconds later, she'd be singing again. And we would say, hey, didn't we just say? She said, oh, sorry, I didn't realize I was singing. Because her head was always in the music. And it still is. You know when she's home. Because she's singing. And you can hear that she's there. She's daydreaming about music. Well, something interesting has happened to us, to her, in the last few months and weeks. She was accepted to go to the Berklee School of Music in Boston, which is a wonderful school of music. And yesterday, she just accepted and decided that she's going to be heading there in the fall. I was a music major. I know what a music department's like. It's filled with people who sing and make music. And they're good at it. And they're calling you forward. They're calling you up into something that you've wanted to do, but you didn't know how fully to do. And it's beautiful to be in the presence of a a group of people who have that same love and desire, right? This is what's happening with us in heaven. Right now, we're in the mode where we're just singing. We're singing, and we're growing, and we're suffering. And in the suffering, we're learning, and it's changing us. And we're daydreaming about what it's going to be like. And then one day, we'll get to matriculate to the place where everything is excellent and noble and true and good and honorable and joy-inducing, as Paul writes. And so you see, when you, when you read your scripture, when you daydream about the things of heaven, when you partner in the gospel, this is not just a 
This is not just a thing to do with your time. This is part of the very fabric of the entire transformation of your life and your being. Do you see how high the stakes are and how wonderful the glories are? So will you daydream more about heaven? Will you allow your mind to be lost in the beauties and the wonders and the glories of Jesus Christ and your union with Jesus Christ and all the things that that means so that when suffering comes in and your tendency is to think, well, I'm not going to be bold anymore, you'll know that there's reason to stand firm because you know who you are and you know where you're headed. God, would you make this so Would you make it true of us that as a community, more and more, we'd be leaning into the glories of heaven and that the results of that would be the strengthening of our beings. Help us to think about our citizenship. Help us to think about the crown of joy. Help us to think about the excellencies of heaven. To sing them around in our minds day in and day out. And then out of the strength that that brings, I ask and pray that we would be a bold church, striving for more and more more boldness, able to stand firm in the midst of whatever suffering comes, whether it be individually in our lives or corporately, leaning into the community of faith and finding a rich and special and sweet partnership there. And leaning into our union with Jesus Christ, spending time in prayer, studying him in scripture, asking him to meet us so that we can say like Christ to, to, like Paul, to live as Christ and to die as gain. These are beautiful, wonderful things that we can't do in our strength. So we thank you that as you've promised in the book of Philippians, you are working these things out in us. So God, on some level, we just present ourselves to you today and we say, have your way, have your way, have your way, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.